the needle dropping on the vinyl preacher for the third Sunday after Epiphany, or third Sunday of Epiphany, depending Ooh. on your party preference. Uh, I'm Matt Cable at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles. I'm Zach Ferris. Uh, I'm uh, somewhere in Boulder. <laughs> somewhere back in Boulder. You know what we got in Boulder? It's a real problem. People stealing mattresses, man. <laughs> I was going to say, I've heard that's, a, that's an issue. To be fair, I'm a part of the problem. I steal mattresses, too, from roommates. But but we really got to we gotta get a, a handle on the situation, the mattress situation. <laughs> Bed bugs are out of control. <laughs> yeah, so it's the third Sunday of Epiphany. What's, uh, what's happening in your context? We are back, Matt. We are back. Uh, school back. starts on the Tuesday before this Sunday. So this is our first Sunday with full action, with full uh, the full community back in town doing the spring semester kind of thing. Um, so I'll be excited to see a bunch of people I haven't seen in a while. Yeah. Sweet. How long have you been off? I mean, it feels off like forever. I do think it's a four or five week break this year. Uh, oh, wow. which is longer, which I very much appreciated. Yeah. I think it's the appropriate amount of time for me. Um, but yeah, we've been three weeks in the past and that feels really, really short. Um, yeah. Cool. Back at it. I've been back at it for two weeks. Finally getting back into some kind of rhythm. Uh, so much so that this Sunday, uh, it's pretty normal, but I have a council meeting. Yep. On Sunday. Back to council meetings. Yeah, we do them on Sundays after church. That sounds terrible. I know. It is kind of terrible, but like, you know, like what are your options? So you can either do it on a weeknight, mm-hmm. which is not ideal. Plus, I always end up having people that work really late, and that's oh, always yeah. like, so they always like, I can't do it on a weeknight. Um, or then what do you do? You do Saturday? Ugh, like that's almost worse. So <laughs> So we tend to do them on Sundays so that it's one stop, one stop shopping, coming over to church. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's like a nuts and bolts time of year, too. Like, in the, at least at our church, this is when we do annual reports. And so there's a lot of looking back and looking ahead and doing some of the behind the scenes administrative plumbing of the church. So that is some of what's happening where I'm at. I like it. I like it. And then in the, but in the lectionary, in the lectionary, oh my goodness. So we're still in, I don't know, time after epiphany, season of epiphany, but we still get uh, themes about light. Uh, and we're in the middle of a, where it's part two of a two part series on call stories, Jesus beginning his ministry. The sequel. Uh, the deep breath before we dive into uh, five weeks of the Sermon on the Mount, which I know you're excited about. Can't wait. Can't. <laughs> Can't wait. We're going to find a way to make it exciting. We're going to we do this. Are. We are. Anything else that we want to say about the lectionary day? Uh, I don't think I have anything. It's kind of, maybe this is why it's sometimes ordinary time. It's not yeah. real, real juicy. Yeah. Well, and that might be a good thing because we're going to dive into, um, when we meet the some of the characters in this story, they're involved in like the daily work of their vocation. Mm. So Jesus meeting us in that daily work. So we're going to discover that uh, because it is it is time. What time? Do, I always get confused with time changes. Does Arizona daylight? No time. Time of the day! 
Time for the text. Time for the text, y'all. Um, we are. Are we just doing Matthew? I think we're just doing the Gospels right now. Yeah. Yeah, because our brains are limited. We can only handle one at a time. We go so deep. We can't have a three-hour podcast every week. I know. It's brutal. We do get a little callback to the Old Testament, though, so that's fun. We'll, we'll touch them. We'll touch them today. Yeah. But... Because Matthew samples Isaiah. <laughs> samples Isaiah in this text. Matthew's it's really, all... in the sense that Matthew is a multicultural gospel, he's kind of like a gospel DJ. He is. He is. He's, a, he's constantly remixing stuff. It's crazy. I know. I mean, I mean, Luke does a similar. Oh my gosh! Yeah, whatever. We're gonna get off on that topic, but yes, there's definitely some remixing uh, happening here. Some remixing happening. So uh, the story before us mm. comes from Matthew chapter four, verses twelve to twenty-three. Don't know why we cut off at twenty-three. It's a little bit odd because it does kind of keep going a little bit, but it starts at verse twelve, and uh, Jesus. Uh, it begins when Jesus heard that John had been arrested. Uh, he withdrew to Galilee, left Nazareth, made his home in Capernaum by the sea, uh, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then we get this excerpt from Isaiah, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then Jesus goes and starts walking along the Sea of Galilee, uh, where he sees some fishermen and begins to call them. He calls Peter and Andrew, says, follow me and I'll make you fish for people, Called calls James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, um, sons of thunder. I don't know if Matthew calls them that, but elsewhere in the Gospels, they're the sons of thunder. <laughs> they leave you know, the uh, I don't know if you've ever checked out uh, Jesus's... Uh Tinder profile, but enjoys long walks on the beach in the in the Sons of Thunder. <laughs> yes, I'm going to use that. Uh, and then it concludes uh, with Jesus going throughout Galilee, teaching, preaching, uh, healing uh, at the beginning of his ministry. So sort of three images here. Um, one, Jesus beginning to preach. Two, Jesus calling those first fishermen. And then three, Jesus going out um, probably with the fishermen now uh, and beginning his ministry so that's that's what we're looking at that's what we're looking so much stuff matt again that this is why we only do one text i mean the part that 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 slips past you here is uh this is this all happened because jesus had heard that john had been arrested yeah right this whole john context background is very can very easily just slip from view Um, yeah so such a bizarre thing that Jesus hears, Jesus is the one who's come to proclaim a new kingdom, a new empire uh, of great power, uh, hears that John, his homeboy, has been arrested by the other empire, and, yeah. he, and he withdraws. Wait yeah, a second. It's not, I mean, like, it's not totally clear what that means, the, with, the withdrawing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that definitely is the catalyst that, like, kicks it off, right? And that, man... There's so much just in that first line, right? But that, I think, like, there's two things that really strike me. One is, like, John's arrested, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So already we have a conflict with the authorities. Like, we don't don't even think about that, right? Like, why is he he arrested? Like, what are they doing that pisses off the authorities so much that they go to jail for it, right? Like, it always makes us uncomfortable when people go to jail, even if they're, like, protests. It makes us uncomfortable, right? Like, even those of us who might believe in something, like, Whoa, whoa, is this like, is this really that serious? Well, this begins with like 
somebody being arrested, some act of civil disobedience, um, maybe just disobedience. I don't know, but something serious is going on, serious enough uh, that John's been arrested. But that word arrested, uh, fun fact, we're going to go into the Greek just Uh-oh. to prove that he uh, went to school. Actually, should be translated handed over when John had been handed over, which is the same verb that's used when Jesus is handed oh, over. Foreshadowing. Um, I know. Foreshadowing. Spoilers. Foreshadowing. Also, like, I think, I feel like there's foreshadowing for Jesus, but maybe also for all who follow Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. That this that this is part of what lies ahead, right? This is part yeah. of what lies just in the first line. Oh my gosh. First line. Man, how about that second line, though? What's the, which second line? Tell me about the second line. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that he might. Yeah, be. I did some research on this. Why do you? Why? Why are you struck by that? Ah, I'm struck, Matt. I'm so struck. I got to give some credit here. I went to uh, our former uh, our our teacher rabbi, Dr. Ralph Klein. The Reverend Dr. Ralph Klein has a spectacular website to go along with the lectionary and has some really meaty stuff for you to dive into the Old Testament stuff. And so I looked at it because. Hey, we've been talking for a couple weeks about how Matthew is a multicultural gospel. And so dropping these very uh, proper nouns that indicate some other sorts of cultures to me, I thought, hey, I should dig into it and learn a little bit more about these things because uh, they probably mean something that they're in there. Uh, and they yeah. are a part of the quote from Isaiah, the ninth chapter of Isaiah. Uh, that's the first reading for the day. But uh, what Ralph says is that an allusion to what had happened in around 733 BCE when the Assyrian emperor Tilgath-Pileser III, which is my second favorite Assyrian emperor, Sennacherib, come on, he's way better, was much more successful. You can't compete with that guy. Uh, So up in the north, above uh, what we now know as the Holy Land, the Assyrian Empire came down, Tilgath-Pileser came down, uh, and he came, and what he did is he took the northern kingdom, the northern half of, of kind of what you normally would think of on a map as Israel, uh, and he divided it into three districts uh, or three sort of provinces. And so uh, you get it for sure and explicitly in the in Isaiah 9. Uh, one of them is Galilee or the land of uh, Zebulun or Naphtali. But then there's the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan. And so there were three different sort of provinces or districts uh, he separated the people. And on top of that, Tilgath-Pileser uh, exiled many of the people to Nineveh, way far away up in the Assyrian Empire. And so all of that's to say, that's a lot of weeds, that's a lot of woods. That was a very long time ago by the time this, uh, these folks would have heard that, 700 years, right? Uh, yeah. 700 years, think about how many lifetimes that was, how many generations it was when your life expectancy was like 35. It's even longer for them. But if this is a multicultural gospel, I think the promise that, that Matthew's proclaiming about Jesus is that Jesus is this one who's come to, to heal, to transcend those, those fake enforced boundaries that have been set even almost a thousand years ago. Um, yeah. No, that's really good. That's really good. So Jesus already transgressing some of those boundaries. Ah, transgression. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because then he's going to go on and— um, and reach out to these to these fishermen and start bringing people together uh, too. So you've already so you've got him bringing cultures together at the beginning, and then he may start to bring like these vocations together, right? If you consider, I don't know if Matthew talks about Jesus being a carpenter, if Joseph's a carpenter, but you've got carpenters and fishermen coming together. He starts to bring together these people from different 
uh, walks of life, uh, things like that are beginning to happen. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Mm. It's like we did research this week. It's it's like we're professionals, man. <laughs> <laughs> research. Woo. Uh, all right. Oh, my goodness. All right. What do you want to dive into next? What are the things that you put on the outline that I like that I think is a good place to, to have some really fun conversation uh, mm-hmm. is you've got a question of what do we need to leave behind in order to pursue the kingdom of heaven? Because you definitely have some leaving behind. They leave behind the boat. They leave behind the father. They leave behind their nets. Um, and that the call of Jesus is a call to repentance, right? I'm guessing this is metanoia. Uh, turn around. Is that what it is? So it's a, it's a definite change that's absolutely there. But at the same time, I feel like there's not everything changes in this. We're getting way into the Greek this week, way into the Greek, way into the weeds. But (laughs) I love the the line where Jesus, the promise of what Jesus's call means for these folks uh, initially is that that he comes upon uh, Simon and Andrew and they're casting it into the sea because they were fishers of uh, fish. Right. That's what it says. Literally, they were fishers of fish. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you. Fishers of men. Yeah. It's the same word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you follow me, I'll make you who you already are. Uh, <laughs> right? It's fisher and fisher, and it's identical words uh, in the Greek. Uh, so yeah. I love this idea that a call is a call to a full realization of what you already are. Uh, working with students, we work with call stories a lot. And one of the troubles, I think one of the stumbling blocks with call stories is the uh, is imagining that it's going to be a big, grand story, kind of like this, that Jesus is going to come up upon you one day and say, hey, uh, Fred, it's time for you to follow me. How about you follow me? And you'll say yes, and you'll leave behind everything for this really romantic vision of call. And so this isn't that extraordinary, I think. I think the beauty of it is how ordinary it is. The fishers, uh, the fishers remain fishers. And then here's, there's another layer of it, right? He catches them in the act of doing two different things. On one hand, they're mending their nets. On the other, they're casting their nets into the sea. That's the exact work they're going to need to do as they go ahead with Jesus. As you said, right, we're cutting off two really important lines uh, at the end of this story that says that Jesus uh, from here goes out and cures all the sick people. All the sick are brought to him with various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics and Jesus heals and cures all of them. And so Jesus needs to mend the sick. That's the the job before them. And he needs those who can cast out demons. Uh, That's a really big thing in Matthew is casting out demons. And so they're called to the same task. It's different. Yes. But it's not random. I don't think uh, that they're mending and that they're casting and that they're going to continue to do that work. Yeah. I mean, it, it pushes us to ask some, I think, important questions about what work is for, right? And can we, re- how would I say this? What What's the right verb? I want to say redeem, but it's it's almost too, it's too extreme, but but maybe not. But like to, to give our work meaning, right? The work that we already do, uh, to give it meaning, maybe to reshape it somewhat, but it doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, leaving that work behind, but maybe rethinking it and giving it a new purpose. I think so. I mean, I think, right, my punchline for vocation is a vocation is ultimately about identity more than anything else. And it's about living into that identity in the place in time in which you find yourself. Because, right, we're really quick to think, well, who's the better fisher person? The people who stayed out fishing for fish or the people who followed Jesus? And I, again, I don't think that's a great question. 
because uh, somebody needed to catch fish that day. And so I like this idea that, that Jesus' call, uh, that vocation, vocatio, the voice of Jesus is calling us to more fully be the, the people that God has already made us to be. Mm. And that, I mean, that, that hits the, the give and take, the tension of, of everything changing and everything staying the same. Uh, but Paul this week, right, is 1 Corinthians, where he really emphasizes that your identity is found in Christ and not in uh, Paul. Paul actually has a good line this week because he says he can't remember who all he baptized, but that <laughs> no. that's not important. Paul does not keep good records. <laughs> no, no. How can you expect me to remember? Um, and this other, I know we're sneaking, we're bleeding into the other text. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. Tell that to your church council. Uh, but that... It's not to say that I belong to Paul or to Apollos or Cephas, but that I belong to Christ. What do you think? Like, I mean, all right, so we pushed it. We pushed it hard in the direction of you might keep doing the, your, the work that you currently do. But then there is this like leaving behind, right? Because it does seem like that that happens. That, that's a line that's repeated twice that they leave their nets and followed him. And then also they left the boat and their father, right? It mentions the father twice. Like you're leaving behind. That's a big uh, deal. Your family, family. right? Not for um, us jerks who, who immigrate to the West and leave our no. families behind without <laughs> social consequences, really. Well, some of us still have some. Unless we need child care. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, <laughs> but we do like, I mean, we spent last week looking at daycares. So that's why mm. I'm thinking about this topic because yeah. um, I'm going to pay more for daycare than my brother does who lives five minutes from both sets of in-laws, right? Yeah. <laughs> just rotate their kids around. I mean, it's not just that, but all those little things, right? Like all that network. And then we have somewhat of a new network where we live now, but it's not quite the same, but I think that's, it's instructive, right? Like that, that kind of a line hits me harder than I find some of my parishioners sometimes, sometimes, right? Like, I'll, mm-hmm. so yeah. I mean, I think, Matt, we're going to go totally romantic, and I think we're both going to groove on this for a bit, which I don't know if it's good or helpful, but it's what's going to happen here. Uh, while you were gone, I was talking to Rebecca Boardman uh, on the pod from St. Louis, and I forgot how we got around to it. Oh, gosh, that's what I love about these sorts of texts is where it gets us caught in that that tension of, of everything changing and everything staying the same and leaving and staying because I don't know, right? It's It's – that these folks left their family behind is a very big deal for them. Right. Uh, even bigger than, than it's huge for them. They have left behind their social safety net. Um, yeah. Right. There's no, no one else has any obligation to care for them. If something terrible were to happen, they're just banking on this loose association of strangers who've gathered together that they will somehow care for them in the same way that their family commits to caring for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, right, it's kind of a antagonistic thing. Leaving their family behind does not only mean that they don't get childcare, right? It means that you're saying, screw you to the rest of your family. You're not going to provide childcare to them. <sighs> I mean, who doesn't love rambling and wandering and stuff, right? But where I find myself, I find myself living that liminal thing, liminal place, uh, because every time I go back to my family in North Carolina, it's clearer and clearer this is not a place where I... I fit. I don't like, there's not a, and I don't mean that in like a, this is a community of people who I drop in to see on very rare occasions, not the community of people with whom I had a a really important, constantly present role as a, as a young person. And yet, right. As, as much as six years in Colorado now, maybe there'll be a day where it feels like this is my place 
yeah. right? But it's not that. It's not, right? It's yeah. And so where yeah. is uh Yeah. Where does no, my I, where does my yeah. father abide or stay? Because I don't know where yeah. that is. And then I go yeah. back to Chicago over the break, right? And I love going back to Chicago, but it's right. not what it was. Right. I don't know anybody there anymore. Yeah. No, I hear you. I feel much the same way. It's not I love California. I love a lot of things about Who doesn't love California? Right? Oh and I love gosh. a lot of things about Los Angeles. But it doesn't I still struggle to call it home, right? Like in that in that deep seated kind of way, right? Like mm-hmm. it is in some sense, obviously, but like it's not yeah, it's not it's not quite the same. But neither is, you know, my my parents are still, um, or at least my mom is still under the delusion that she can convince me to move back <laughs> to Chicago. <laughs> and I thought I disabused her of this notion, and then we had kids, and now the notion has come back into her head. Right? Um, what a faithful, well, hopeful you know, mo- uh, woman your mother is. That's um, I know. Well, my family's cub fans; they have to be. Yeah, I won't but, let her um, talk to my mom because it would be, <laughs> mom would be so sad. So sad. But like it wouldn't, I mean, and I, I mean, I guess I just, I mean, I have no plans to move back, but it's also that if I did, I wouldn't, it's not like I would snap back into place, right? I would have to write a new story for that place, you know, like it would be a new thing. It wouldn't be a, I'm not going to snap back into my old life, you know, like, so I don't know. It's an interesting and I think I'm going to pull us out of the the, the nosedive into uh, pre-middle age uh, existential crisis and say that maybe that's – I mean I think that's that can be a helpful, instructive vision for what following Jesus might be like. Not that, that we're doing it perfectly, but that it is a way of life in which we're held in tension, where there's always some discomfort. Yeah. And I think that, that can be a – that doesn't mean you have to, to come to the West – unless you want to help us in our independence movement and having single pay. No, but, I mean, I think it's really, I think it's really, I mean, it's, it's worth doing a deep dive on and because we're going to, we're going to read this story. And one of the things I always find with this, I mean, similar to when you talk to your students about vocation, but like I often find that people both want to relate to it and can't relate to it. Right. Because we're all going to like, most of the people in my church are not going to quit their jobs the day after this text is read. They're not going to leave their nets in that way, but they might feel like they should, right. They're going to come this text and be like, what? And so they're either going to like not be able to relate to it or feel like they're somehow failing. Right. Cause they're not quitting their jobs tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So like, how does this become real? And then how do I preach it in a way that's real? Right. Cause it's very easy for me to be like, well, I left my whole family behind <laughs> across the country. Look how, look how romantic I am. Right. Like, but you know, like not, first of all, like lots of people don't do that, but also like, I mean, I don't do that every day. Right. Like I did that five years ago, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that this week. So like, how does it become a thing that is real every year? And what? maybe even, maybe even every day. So one of the ways that I'll suggest to bring us rope us back in maybe a little bit, I mean, like maybe it's, it's, it brings us back to that, like daily dying and rising, right? Like, how do you, how do you leave your nets behind every night and just let the day be mm-hmm. right? Like, and then get up the next morning and you're leaving your, you're leaving the day behind, right? Like yeah. how do you, how does this become part of that daily dying and rising? How does this, how do those big moves in life, how are they also instructive for, the little moves, right? The little things that we might actually do this week yeah. or today. I mean, I think in the same way there's there's reciprocity 
and the pain of of these folks leaving their family systems and the and for us when we leave our family systems i think there's reciprocity on the other side of that too that i i don't know it's not so much to romanticize the move you made to los angeles uh but to romanticize the role or not romanticize but to reveal the important cruciform role that St. Mark's played in that, that you couldn't have done that without a community to welcome you, to hold you. You're putting your, in making that move, you're putting your faith, your trust in in this group of new random associates who God has pulled together to care for you and for you to, and they're putting trust in you to care for them and how, and maybe this is a particularly good gospel for those of us in the West whose communities are perhaps more full of people who, who aren't from here in in lots of ways to be those, to play that part in that gathering of disciples. I mean, I'll talk about Thanksgiving, right? I don't know if I've talked about it in the podcast before, but we have the greatest Thanksgiving tradition ever in Colorado, that every year we go to a thing called the Feast of the Unloved, which is 15, 16 years old now, right? And I've only been going for five years but it was started by these kinds of people, right? It's, it was, it's from the runner community. And so tons of folks after college moved to, to Boulder, Denver to pursue professional running. And that's not a lucrative thing, even when you're making it. And when you're just coming out here to give it a go, you don't have any money. And so people couldn't afford to go back to the places where they came from. And so they just started doing Thanksgiving together. Yeah. And it's, it's this, I think it's a beautiful description of what the church can be because it's yeah. this random, ever-expanding group of people. There are lots of core insiders who are there every year, but there are always random people there uh, who just happen to be in town or there who come and are fully welcome and that they're, we have rituals. There's a dumb shuttle run in the street uh, and you have to wear uh, a uniform for the shuttle run, right? Like lots of, of ritualized things. It's just this, uh, yeah. one of the most intimate ways that I've known community in my life. But that I wouldn't know that if I'd stayed in my family system. I mean, I think family systems can do that, right? But that there is, there's not that sense of obligation it, it flow to that there might be. Well, there is obligation. I don't want to backtrack on that part. But. Yeah, I think it's all true. I, I think the thing that I find challenging is figuring out how to, how to preach it to people that do stay in their family system. Because most of the people in my congregation, I mean, I mean, I have lots of immigrant families, right? And so mm-hmm. people really do, like, they may not be second, third generation immigrants, so they move from somewhere. So some folks have that experience of leaving a place. But also, like, people's lives are more stable too right like they mm-hmm. people who are in their family system and can that be remixed too can you stay in one place and still leave your nets so i don't know it's the tension of well i mean it, it quickly right we're back around to the beginning to the multicultural gospel right it's this multicultural vision of a, an empire kingdom where we have to wrestle with what's going to get what are you going to leave behind to, to make this new community work and what stays hey and i just realized so they leave behind their father, but not their brother. I mean, they go together as brothers, right? Like there's still yeah. some family system going in here. Yeah. They still have that weird relationship that brothers have. <laughs> they both have brothers. Like, like what? Like, so there, there actually is like some family that is sustained in the midst of this, right? Yeah. Maybe somehow, kind of, I don't know what that means, how that fits, but it is like two sets of brothers. And so like, even while they leave family behind, it also stays with them. Yeah, they get to take, like, their security blanket. Linus. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. There's some thread. It's interesting. Man, I'm enjoying Matthew. Who knew Are it you? would be so enjoyable? Yeah. I like our, our approach of, of 
there are lots of different ways to take on Matthew, but I've not. This is my first time going through it with this multicultural lens. Yeah, well, we'll see what we do with it next week. Because, so Matthew, one of the other things that I have read about Matthew in my preparing to preach Matthew is that he's very much about Jesus's teaching ministry, right? Mm-hmm. And so when he lists these things at the end of today's pericope, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news, curing every disease, that there's a reason he puts them in that order. Because the, yeah. that's the order of importance for Matthew. Mm-hmm. So unlike Luke, who would, after this story, go into a healing story, Matthew goes right into the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to give us a big teaching. I mean, he mentions some more like he went around and healing, healing people, but not like a specific story. First, mm-hmm. he's going to give us this long teaching lecture. And then he's going to illustrate it. Because for Matthew, that teaching piece is really important. Those ethical teachings are like incredible. They're very important to him. So it's also this teaching gospel. And so figuring out like what that means. Homecoming in exile, man. We're still doing homecoming in exile. He's coming again. We talked about that a bit, but that he's coming off of uh, being in the wilderness with uh, temptation and stuff, right? But he hears John's arrested and he withdraws. And spoiler alert, he's going to go cure everybody and large crowds are going to come. And he's going to withdraw to the mountains. Yeah, he's going to go up on the mountain and bring down a new law, right? I mean, that's what he's – the Moses thing continues. He's going to go up on the mountain and bring down a new law. He's going to remix Mm. that. He's, he's going to remix that law, right? He's going to sample all kinds Man. of stuff, but he's going to remix it. He's going to say, you have, you have heard, you heard this song? No, I heard it in a new way. We're going to do all kinds of remixing. I'm oh very excited gosh. about this. Speaking of, what are, you, what are you going to remix this week for us, man? DJ Matthew, DJ Matthew. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. MC. Those are my initials, by the way. Matthew Craig Kittle, MC. Oh. Always been MC. Uh, oh my gosh so man for the playlist this week i have that's where we're at right yeah okay so um so i went with two like i know we kind of pushed back against this notion of one big life change call uh but but it is still part of what happens when jesus encounters these people and their lives change in some way and so i thought of two songs where that happens one is lose yourself by eminem this is your shot you got one shot or one opportunity would you capture it and just let it slip? Do you want me to, to keep going? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Mom's spaghetti. I know, right? It's such a good song. Whatever you think of it. Family systems. Is, uh, Family systems. Mom's yeah, spaghetti. Of our generation. And, oh my goodness. So, uh, also from my current uh, obsession for the last uh, 12 months at least, from the Hamilton, the Hamilton soundtrack, My Shots. My Shot, which is like the single from that album. Uh, that's basically you Lose Yourself. But for the revolutionary era, what? With uh, Alexander Hamilton. It's pretty amazing. You can do either the theatrical version or from the Hamilton mixtape. There's one featuring Buster Rhymes. And uh, Buster Rhymes calling the colonies to rise up is pretty much uh, my favorite thing ever. Gotta love Busta. Where's he been? Years. It's been a while. Where's he been the past 20 years? Uh, I, I added the Busta re, uh, remix to the to the playlist. But Matt, I need, I need some help. I just don't, like, what am I missing on Hamilton here? Have you listened to it? Kind of. <laughs> you don't like it? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm currently obsessed with Lin Manuel. He's my where, where you have been with John Green for a while. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with Lin, Lin Manuel Miranda. I mean, I just think like the, wow. I mean, the use of of hip hop to to reinterpret this historical event. I mean, like that's. 
it's I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed. And I feel like it's part of what we part of what we try to do with these ancient texts too, right? Is make them come alive in some like in some new way. And sometimes we're like, we play it fast and loose with that, right? Like some of the best preaching that I hear like goes in directions that I'm like, whoa, you could do that. Um, and I think that's I think that's part of what Hamilton does. But, maybe uh, that's maybe that context thing is helpful because I hear it when I hear I most often hear about it in a permission giving way for people to enjoy rap stuff. <laughs> does that make sense? So you're so it's kind of like they had a somebody it was like a celebrity Jeopardy on SNL and they yeah. they had they had somebody playing Lin Manuel. And they were like, NPR's favorite rapper. Yeah. It's that, it's that kind of thing. It's like, yeah. this is what yeah, yeah. rap for the NPR crowd. And I like, and as the NPR crowd, you know, I'm going to be like, they're like legit, like NPR style rappers yeah. you could listen to, you know? Uh, yeah. This is, this is good. It's fine. But, well, I think, I mean, but blue scholars, come on. <laughs> no, they're good. You have some socially like, conscious think- rap. I think what I think what Lin Manuel is doing. I mean, like, there's a there's definitely a version of Hamilton that could be that. But I think that I think he's taking those traditions, he's drawing on the traditions of legit hip hop and bringing it into this live theater realm. And then I think that the hip hop community has, in many ways, like given its blessing to that. I mean, in the way that like the theatrical the the soundtrack was produced by the Roots. So like all the music that you hear on that soundtrack is being performed by the roots, right? Like they're super on board. And then the whole mixtape, like you've got like I think my shot is the one that features no, maybe it's a different one that has NOS on there. I mean when you've got Buster Rhymes, you're you've got street. I know whole, whole and the whole mixtape, um, you really do get some heavy hitters coming in and uh and doing some of that. So I think that I think I think in a lot of even though he's a big nerd, um, I think in uh I think in many ways He's legit, I think. I think you see that because the the, the hip hop community has embraced him, even if it's true that like it probably is still more popular among the NPR crowd um, than among my confirmation students. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely still true. Um, but uh, yeah, good pushback though. Good pushback. Uh, just want to be cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I got so I got one more. I read also during the break. I read all kinds of uh, audiobooks, and I read Bruce Springsteen's memoir, which was read by the author. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah, I was sure like if I needed a celebrity memoir in my life at the time. Yeah, uh, but I was like, I needed something to listen to while feeding babies, which is the most mind-numbing thing that you can possibly do. I mean, mm-hmm. after the first time you do it, you're like, oh, it's a miracle of life. But then by like the 500th time, you're just like, I my brain's melting. <laughs> And Springsteen's memoir is really good. He was really, really good. Um, focuses a lot on his early stuff and his early um, life and ministry. <laughs> That's right. I just used the word ministry. Um, and uh, Blinded by the Light is the first song in his first album. And I'm still thinking in this season of Epiphany how to use that light imagery. I'm an mm. image-based preacher. I've, I've realized that about myself um, much later than everybody else did. Um, and so, like, I think I'm still trying to work with light and figure out what I can do mm. with that in this season. So still thinking about being blinded by the light. What does that mean? 
What's that mean? I, I like that. Got? I like that. Full confession. I did not know that was a Bruce song. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Because the one you hear on the radio is covered by somebody else. So I, I yeah, what, man, machine, something. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't even know. But it's on Great Smashbury Park, New Jersey. It is the first song on that album. Nice. But then he remixes it himself. What? What? In the two thousands, the mid aughts. Uh, Springsteen was touring with the Sessions band. It was where he did all this Pete Seeger stuff. And so he has all this like roots music. It's really good stuff. And he completely like redoes the song, same lyrics, but like a whole different, like very uh, rootsy, bluesy, folksy version of it. That's super, super cool. Um, so uh, I would recommend for your playlist, you could use the Greetings from Asbury Park version from 1973, <laughs> or you can use the version from the Sessions band live in Dublin from, I believe, 2007. Uh that's all I got. I'm shutting up now. What nice. do you got? Nice. I think Bruce plays with it's uh, plays with Pete in that Pete documentary around that time. Uh, they get, they all get on stage and do uh, this land is your land. Yeah. Um, I'm taking it the other way to give it a little balance, right? To, to yeah. build the tension. Uh, got a beautiful song, Same Love, um, which I think hits on the vocation, right? Same Love by Macklemore, most importantly featuring Mary Lambert, who has pipes. Good Lord, she's got pipes. More to do with like LGBTQ-ish sorts of things, uh, but that's a part of our vocation, right? Um, yeah. Right. The chorus is I can't change uh, even if I wanted to, which is where I find myself so much of my life. And so the yeah. at its at its essence, uh, this call of Jesus to follow is not necessarily a call to to change who you are, uh, but to more fully be that person. Yes. Um, Love it. So there you go. Uh, Stevie Nicks, my friends. Uh, Stevie Nicks on her first solo album, Nothing Ever Changes. I just randomly found this one this week for the playlist. Special, special thing. I've got a nice little verse here. I can turn all your music on. I can make you feel alive. I am gone, but I'm never gone from you. It was just the first time. Uh, some of that tension. And then last, uh, I don't do Adventure Time, which is an animated series on the Cartoon Network. Wikipedia yeah, tells me. Yeah, you Yeah. Uh, but I found on YouTube uh, a really beautiful song called Everything Stays. And it's from the cartoon? It's from the cartoon. <laughs> you got to check it out. But it's about everything staying, uh, everything staying the same, but that while everything stays the same, it changes. And they do that. I mean, it's really... Anyway, check it yeah. out. Uh, it's all about right. everything changing and staying the same all at the same time. Um, Breathing all... thin and take from Adventure Time. Boom. I might have to actually watch the television show now. It's good. I think it's on Netflix. Is it? I'm Netflixing right now, so so I'll, I'll, I'll have to check it out. We've been watching uh, Maria Bamford's Lady Dynamite on Netflix lately. Uh, and really, I don't know what that is. What is that? Uh, Maria Bamford, the stand-up comedian, uh, okay. with like, uh, is a manic uh, depressive uh, anxiety and stuff. And so uh, she took about two years off to deal with, uh, deal with that stuff. And now, uh, this is the kind of first big project she did when she came back and it's about her and her life. And they're breaking down third and fourth walls. Like Patton Oswalt plays is, is a recurring person who shows up in the show. And like in the middle of a scene, like he'll just like, he was a cop in a scene, right? And he just started like asking her about if she was really going to do this, like in the show, this wasn't a good idea. Uh, right, like you shouldn't do stand up in the show. Everybody does stand up in the show. Seinfeld, uh, you know, this is a bad idea. You definitely shouldn't do this. And then, like another, kid, they're like, 
<laughs> all of a sudden talking about her directorial uh, directorial uh, view of the show. Uh, uh, and like the first episode ends where she's like, uh, so I guess love's not going to find me this week. Nor happiness, nor friendship, but... <laughs> Yeah, some sort of sunshine ending to that. But uh, oh my goodness, breaking down walls, fourth wall, boom, just like Jesus, just like Jesus. All right, Matt, you got good news? Well, I haven't remixed it into my own words, mm-hmm. but since I'm still uh, dealing with light, uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really thinking about um, what it, what this what this passage from Isaiah means that's that's brought into Matthew right and how, what that means for the rest of this thing what does this mean for light have to have dawned on us um, so for me the good news the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and for those who sat in the reason and shadow of death light has dawned and I think that's the good news but I haven't yet remixed it for 2017 mm-hmm. I think my good news is you don't have to change I think that works for my people right I think I think there are certainly people in the world who need myself included, who need to hear uh, calls for to change um, yeah. in profound ways, but that I feel like my community of people, my students are, feel like they're under incredible pressure to be somebody who they're not yet, at least. And so they spend much of their lives pretending pretending to be who they think they should be. Um, and that's not the call of, of God. We might sing some same love this week. <laughs> You're going to sing it? I'm going to bring in Mary Lambert because I can't quite nail her part yet. <laughs> I can do the Macklemore vocals. I can't do the Mary Lambert vocals. <laughs> By the way, uh, I just want to point out that you wanted to question Lynn Manuel's legitimacy as a hip hop artist, <laughs> and yet your hip hop was Macklemore. What? Macklemore? You may not. I'm focusing on Mary Lambert. For full full disclosure, I first heard Macklemore on a track on a burn CD that you gave to me because <laughs> it's featured on some Blue Scholar songs. Uh, he's your boy. You were stuck with Macklemore. Sorry, Ryan Lewis, for not including you in the, in the conversation today. Good stuff. All right. Boom. Next week, man. Sermon on the Mount. Next week, Sermon on the Mount. Let's. Uh, we'll do that.